July 30th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaaf. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And the NFL opt-out deadline is coming. It's sometime next week. We don't know exactly when yet because it depends on when the league and the NFLPA agree to all the COVID terms, officially sign the paperwork, and, and get things going, Jared. But we, we had the biggest opt-out so far yesterday, and it was Chiefs running back Damian Williams Obviously not the biggest because it takes him out of our fantasy lineups, but biggest because it impacts Clyde Edwards-Elaire. Yeah, and, you know, everyone's got to have their instant analysis, hot take on, you know, exactly where Clyde Edwards-Elaire belongs in the running back rankings. Now, we, we have to do, to do that, too, obviously, because we, we need to adjust the rankings. That's been done already. I think we still need to di- digest this news and, you know, see what we hear out of Chiefs camp before we, you know, really settle on where Edwards Alaire belongs. I think it's going to be somewhere in though in the, the you know the back half of the top 10 running backs and I think if you are drafting soon, I think Edwards Alaire belongs like in in the back half of round 1, you know, somewhere between like pick 10 and you know pick 14 or 15. Yeah, and I think if you do want him, that's where you're going to have to take him. So uh, it's certainly fine to decide that you don't want to trust him that high in the draft. But that's I think where he's going to settle and it, it's really tough for me to imagine them making another move that's going to significantly shift his price in the other direction. I mean, if they sign Devontae Freeman, Lamar Miller, some other aging free agent, to me, that's just a lesser version of what Damian Williams was. Yeah, I mean, I think a name guy like Freeman or Lamar Miller could bump Everett Zolaire's price down a bit more. It wouldn't really impact how I feel about him. I don't think there's anyone left on the free agent market that could really impact Edwards Alaire's role, assuming he's ready to, you know, take on that feature role. Um, but it, but it definitely could uh, depress his price, which would be nice. Unless maybe somebody unfreezes Pierre Thomas. <laughs> oh man. I, I wish we could do that. <laughs> yeah. You can go to draftsharks.com, read the player profile on Clyde Edwards Alaire and, and see the upside that we were already talking about. Even when Damian Williams was still part of the picture, there's certainly lots of it there. We'll look at the full impact of the opt-outs. There have been some others along the way, none quite so big as Damian Williams to this point, but there are probably going to be more before the deadline arrives. For now, though, let's move on to episode six in our division by division preview series. And this week, we're going to hit the NFC South. Jared, please start us off with the coaching picture in Atlanta. Yeah, no coaching changes for the Falcons. Dan Quinn back as head coach for his sixth season. Dirk Cutter back for his second straight season as Falcons offensive coordinator. His fifth season overall with Atlanta. Um, He spent 2012, 13, and 14 as the Falcons OC. So we have a pretty nice sample size to work with here for projections. Yeah, and it's nice that he has gone back to the place where he started out so we can go back to some of those older numbers. What do you think so far on run-pass split and anything else with Dirk Cutter? Cutter has definitely leaned pretty heavily towards the pass, really throughout his coaching career for the most part, especially in Atlanta. The Falcons ranks in pass rate under Cutter in those four seasons, seventh first, third, and then first again last year. In between his two Falcons tenures, he was with the Bucks. Those teams ranked 24th, 23rd, but then third and sixth in pass rate. So again, you know, four of his last six seasons now, he's been inside the top seven in pass rate. I think, you know, you look at this Falcons roster, they did add Todd Gurley, but you know, he's no longer the the 300 carry Todd Gurley. So I think it's going to continue to be one of the pass heavier offenses in the NFL. I projected them at 65 and a half percent pass, which is basically 
the average of what they've been in those four seasons under Dirk Cutter. Yep. Dirk Cutter's four Atlanta teams have averaged a 65.7% passing share, as you alluded to. That's exactly where I projected this team. Obviously, the Falcons liked what Dirk Cutter did as their OC before. You know, it helped him land the Tampa Bay head coaching gig. So I don't see any reason why they're going to significantly change. And as you said, they're still built to do the same stuff. So let's move on to QB notes where not much has changed either. Matt Ryan has finished top 10 among fantasy quarterbacks in eight of the past 10 years. That has included finishes of 6th, 10th, 7th, and 8th in Dirk Cutter's four years as the Atlanta OC. Matt Ryan finished number eight last year, despite just a 4.2% passing touchdown rate. And in that particular category, Ryan has gone up and down for a while. Mm -hmm. Back in 2014, he was at four and a half percent, then down to 3.4, up to 7.1, down to 3.8, up to 5.8, down to 4.2. So it's a volatile category for most quarterbacks. We've seen that Matt Ryan can swing high or low in that category. You know, the way it's been going, maybe he's due for an up number this year. Mm-hmm. Either way, though, I think that he's going to get enough passing volume that the specific touchdown rate is not going to matter a whole lot. His yards per attempt were down a bit last year, but even that 7.3 was still 15th in the league. So that's fine for him. Yeah, I think Ryan's just a safe pretty unexciting lower end quarterback one. Like I I don't think he's going to pop into the top five this season. I'd be pretty surprised if he fell outside the top, you know, 15 or so he's going to be somewhere in there. He's safe, not a ton of upside. I I do think it's worth noting that he had that high ankle sprain last year. He missed just one game with it, but he struggled in his three games after returning. Those were, you know, three of his least productive games of the season. If you remove those three games, he averaged 309 passing yards per game, 1.9 touchdowns. Um, You extrapolate those marks over the full season. He would have ranked fourth in the NFL in passing yards third and passing touchdown. So I think he, he was even better last year than, you know, the, the final numbers would suggest. And I believe he led the league in completions, even though he missed a game and a half with that ankle injury. Yeah, definitely had volume on his side. And again, we expect that to be the case again this season. QB eight and ADP keeps him from really being a fantasy target, but I also yeah. think it's an appropriate price based on what he's done in the past. Yeah, fairly priced, and if he drops, you know, a round or two below ADP, I think he's a nice target. Running back notes: Todd Gurley, as you mentioned, has arrived this offseason. His workload in 2019 was down versus the previous years. He averaged more than 18 carries per game in 27 and 2018. That was down to 14.9 carries per game last year. Obviously, the Rams trying to manage that left knee that's been a problem. Todd Gurley's yards per carry dipped to 3.8. But I think that belies a rushing season that was actually better than what the numbers say. He earned his second best rushing grade of his career from Pro Football Focus. He ranked 11th among running backs in that category. He beat his 2018 elusive rating. He ranked in the top half of the position in that category. And Nick Shook of NFL.com used runs of 10 plus yards and plays where a runner hit 15 plus miles per hour last year to gauge the most explosive running backs in the league. Todd Gurley came out eighth on that list of the most explosive running backs of 2019. So clearly the knee's not done. It's not like he's just no good anymore. He might not be at the previous level, but Todd Gurley can still run. I think he was hurt last year by decline in the O-line and the offense overall. Beyond that, he also stunk as a receiver. Yeah, and that's the concerning thing about his 2019 campaign. Among 43 running backs last year with 30-plus targets, Gurley was 42nd in yards per target. He was dead last in yards per route run. He was dead last in PFF receiving grade. And that's going to be important 
to find out how much Atlanta wants to use him in the passing game. Because Devontae Freeman averaged five targets per game last season as Atlanta's lead back. If, if Gurley can get that, you know, plus he, he's basically locked in as a lead ball carrier here. I think, you know, just based on volume alone, he has a good chance to finish as an RB1. If Atlanta looks at, you know, how Gurley performed in the passing game last year and wants to, you know, scale back the targets that they were feeding to running backs because of that, I think that's obviously going to hurt. Yeah, I mean, Devontae Freeman got 10.2% of the team's targets despite missing two games last year. By comparison, Todd Gurley saw 7.8% of Rams targets in his 15 games the way that they treated this offseason tells me that the Falcons see Todd Gurley as just an overall upgrade over Devontae Freeman. They're going to, you know, manage his playing time, manage his carries, but I think they view him as a three-down replacement for Devontae Freeman and an upgrade in probably all of those categories. So I think we're going to see a return of target volume for him. His catch rate was down, his drop rate was up last year, so I think Gurley did legitimately play worse as a receiver last year and that very well may continue this year but I think this situation is good for him in target volume and good for him in scoring potential yeah and considering it's Ito Smith and Brian Hill behind Gurley on the depth chart I'm with you I think he's gonna you know play a heavy volume role both on the ground and through the air Devontae Freeman was not good last year I think you know he's basically washed up at this point he still finished PPR running back 18 though just on that volume so barring injury I think that's basically Gurley's floor and again I think his upside does extend into the top 12. And you mentioned the fairly weak depth chart behind Todd Gurley I certainly think that helps him I also think it makes it not really worth talking a whole lot about Ito Smith or Brian Hill at this point. Yeah it would likely be a committee if Gurley misses time and wouldn't be a committee I'm really interested in. Mm -hmm. Pass catcher notes Julio Jones now Tell me if this counts as decline for Julio Jones. From 2015 to 2018, he finished first, 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 and second in Pro Football Focus's yards per route run among receivers. Last year, he was all the way down to fifth. I have that in my notes. That Nothing has been annoying me more this offseason than people saying that last year was Julio Jones' worst yards per route run mark since 2012. Yeah, because he led the league in five of the previous six seasons. He still ranked, as you said, fifth last year. Maybe he's on you know a slight decline, but the guy he's he's 31 years old. You know he he's a future Hall of Famer. I don't think we're approaching the cliff yet for Julio Jones. Yeah, I mean his yards per catch were down slightly. His yards per target were down slightly. Is he's 31 now? Is he declining? Yeah, probably to some degree. But Julio's strutting down the hill. He's not falling off a cliff right now. I think the question for me is the target share. He has been a target monster for a lot of his career. I don't think that we're going to still see that. I mean, Julio Jones is still the the clear lead receiver. I do not think that Calvin Ridley is going to pass him in target share. I don't even think they're going to come even. But last year, Julio did dip to 21.3% of targets before the Mohamed Sanu trade. He was at 22.6% in games where Calvin Ridley played after the Sanu trade. So both of those were down from where he has been most years. Still though, 23% to 24%, I think is a reasonable expectation for Julio and, you know, a bit on the conservative side. And that's plenty in this offense that I think will remain among the league leaders in pass volume. I would still bet on Julio Jones finishing top five among wide receivers in targets, you know, barring a a long-term absence. I think, you know, Kelvin Ridley can get his, but behind him, you know, it's Russell Gage. So I don't don't think, you know, he's going to see a big increase from what he saw last year. Hayden Hurst, I don't think he's going to see more than Austin Hooper saw last year, considering it's, you know, Hurst's first season with the team. So I think Julio's volume is safe. Um, He's been a top seven PPR wide receiver in six straight seasons now. His PPR finishes under Dirk Cutter, 30.3% 
third, sixth, and 11th. And then there was 2013 where Jones missed a bunch of time with injury, but he was second in PPR points per game that season. Calvin Ridley has gotten lots of hype this offseason. He did increase his deep targets last year. He increased his red zone targets. He increased his end zone targets. So there's upside. There are things to like. Obviously, he's young. He's probably an ascending talent. That said, I don't see why he's going to pass Julio Jones this year unless Julio Jones shows surprising decline once they actually start playing the games. Yeah, I think the odds of that are are super low. I mean, I I think Julio Jones is a future Hall of Famer. And yeah, Kevin Ridley is definitely better than I I thought he was coming out out of Mm -hmm. Alabama. I also think, you know, he's been put in an ideal situation playing behind Julio Jones in this pass heavy offense. But the, the guy's good. He was 19th last year in PPR points per game. And it's really about the increased opportunity now for Ridley with Austin Hooper and Mohamed Sanu gone. Those guys leave behind 139 targets from last year. And Ridley already averaged 7.2 targets per game last year. So he already got nice volume. He has the opportunity to get more of it this year. We actually did get two games last season that Ridley played without Mohamed Sanu and Austin Hooper and with Julio Jones. And Ridley saw 22 targets in those two games. So small sample size, obviously, but that kind of shows you the upside he has as far as targets go. So he got to 19% target share in the six games that Ridley played after the Mohamed Sanu trade. That was boosted by the three games that Austin Hooper missed in that range. So, you know, again, as I mentioned with Julio Jones, the target share is probably going to be a little lower than you would like if you're projecting a huge season from Calvin Ridley, but the overall target volume for the Falcons helps with that. Some, I think he's close to appropriately priced at wide receiver 16. I'm not sure that I see a whole lot of upside beyond that spot. Yeah, I agree. I think he's appropriately priced. Um, I actually have drafted him a few times, so definitely on board with where Ridley's going right now. Maybe the the mark in his favor is that I think there's some spike week potential for him because he can score those uh, deep touchdowns and because he has seen increased end zone work. Agreed. Russell Gage, on the other hand, not a spike week candidate, but Mm -hmm. a late, late sleeper for PPR teams. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about receivers who are more attractive in best ball leagues. I think Russell Gage becomes more attractive when we get out of best ball and we're setting weekly lineups because he's the guy that is going to catch five passes (laughs) often and not usually going to catch, you know, nine for 150 and score two touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, definitely not someone you want to be relying on weekly, but I could see Gage having some value as, you know, a spot start by week guy in PPR leagues. He saw 74 targets last year, about, you know, half of that was played with Mohamed Sanu. After the Sanu trade, Gage averaged 7.3 targets per game. That's a pace of 117 targets. Now, as you mentioned, Austin Hooper missed three of those games. Kelvin Ridley missed three of those games. Julio Jones missed one of those games. So that obviously boosted Russell Gage's volume. I don't expect him to get you know anywhere close to 100 targets this season even. But you know, 70-80 is definitely possible. I don't think he's going to be super efficient or super explosive with those targets. But like you said, he, he's a guy who I think you know could have some four or five catch games in the right spots. Yeah, just like Mohamed Sanu, it looks like Russell Gage is going to play a, a limited role in terms of you know downfield efficiency. He averaged just 9.1 yards per catch last year, 7.2 yard average target depth. That was sixth shortest among all wide receivers, but five plus receptions in six of his nine games after the Mohamed Sanu trade. And there is some athletic upside here. Russell Gage ran a 4-4-2-40 at his combine, and he hasn't been playing wide out for that long. He got to LSU as a DB, spent his first two years on defense there before moving to receiver in 2016. Even as a senior at LSU, he only caught 21 passes, carried the ball 28 times. So you know, there's some athletic upside. I also think, you know, Mohamed Sanu is probably a little bit underrated as an athlete. So it seems like Russell Gage 
is maybe just like the best Mohammed Sanu impersonator that they could have gotten. Yeah, I think Gage to me is in that Stephen Sims bucket near the end of drafts. And Sims seems to be getting a lot more hype than Russell Gage. I think you can probably get Gage a bit later. Yes. Hayden Hurst is a new guy in Atlanta. Just before free agency opened, the Falcons sent a second round pick to Baltimore. There were another couple of later picks swapped, but it was basically a second round pick for Hayden Hurst here. That's a pretty hefty investment for a tight end who will turn 27 this August in just his third season and has disappointed so far versus his first round draft price in Baltimore. I think in 2018, you know, he was held back a little bit by that August foot fracture that delayed his start to the season. And that also allowed Mark Andrews to just work ahead of him. And I think that Hayden Hurst probably suffered for that going forward. And obviously throughout last year, now he lands in a spot that is just awesome for target upside. Yeah, And I think it's easier to explain away Hurst's lack of production in Baltimore, just because we've seen how good Mark Andrews is. And I don't think we should dock Hurst too much for not being able to beat out Mark Andrews. Hurst was pretty efficient though when he did get targeted in Baltimore. 8.3 yards per target over the last two seasons ranks 16th among 54 tight ends with 50 plus targets over that span. He was 10th last year in yards per route run among 40 tight ends with 30 plus targets. Um, And he finds lots of opportunity in Atlanta again in this pass heavy offense. Austin Hooper leaves behind 6.4 targets per game. That's a full season pace of 102 targets. That would have been fifth most among tight ends this season. So, you know, there's room for Hurst to, you know, see tight end one level volume this year. Yeah, I mean, Austin Hooper was sixth among tight ends and targets last year, even though he missed three games. Hurst beats Austin Hooper in speed score. They're pretty similar athletic profiles overall, but certainly not a step down in athleticism from Hooper to Hurst here. Beat Hooper in yards per catch last season, yards per route run, and football outsiders DVOA. And Hayden Hurst this offseason drove up from Jacksonville to get in some offseason workouts with Matt Ryan. So they're not going to be as unfamiliar with each other as normally a new pass catcher might be with his new quarterback. Yeah, and I think I think that's obviously even more important this year with the COVID impacted offseason. We're obviously not going to get any preseason games. So any rapport that Hurst and Ryan were able to build this spring should help. Who I like, there's really no standout values to me here. They're Mm -hmm. all pretty appropriately priced. Hayden Hurst was a value early on, but now he's climbed to ninth among tight ends in best ball 10 ADP. I think that's an appropriate spot. I think there's a bit of upside from that spot, but I think it's an appropriate price. I'm out on Hayden Hurst. You know, we just said a bunch of good stuff about him, mm-hmm. but at tight end nine, I'm probably out on him just, just because he's going ahead of Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, and Jared Cook. I, I prefer all three of those guys straight up over Hurst still, although it's it's close, but if I can get the discount, I'll take the other three. And then, you know, Johnny Smith going two and a half rounds later than Hurst, Blake Jarwin going four rounds later than Hurst. So I, I just don't see that the relative value on Hurst that is price tag versus those other guys. I like Hurst better than all of those guys because of his situation. So I, I'm still taking him. He came out even a little bit higher in my projections than tight end nine. I think it was like eight or seven. Okay. Okay. Who don't you like among Falcons besides Hayden well, Hurst? Apparently. Yeah. I mean, Hurst is really the only one. Again, I think Matt Ryan is fairly priced. I haven't drafted him much because I prefer guys like Carson Wentz and Tom Brady going in the same area, but I wouldn't knock anyone for taking Matt Ryan, you know, at quarterback eight in the ninth round. I think he's safe and sort of same deal with Calvin Ridley. I don't think he's a value, but I'm, I'm fine with where he's going. Yeah. I feel like I've said this for every other wide receiver in this range, but at wide receiver 16, my biggest problem with Calvin Ridley is that he's ahead of Robert Woods and Tyler Lockett. <laughs> and it's just, you 
you know, if I'm drafting 10 teams, then sure, maybe I'll take Calvin Ridley in two of those at that spot with that specific decision. But the other eight times I'm taking Robert Woods or Tyler Lockett over him. It's still nice for now with Woods sitting in the fifth round because you can take a Calvin Ridley or an Adam Thielen in the fourth and then get Robert Woods. And I didn't gloss over anybody that you like in that section, right? No, I think outside of Julio Jones, obviously, who I'm totally fine with where he's going. He's in the early second round. I do think Todd Gurley at running back 17 in the mid third round, I guess, Beyond James Conner, Gurley's probably my favorite running back in that third, fourth round range. Yeah, I agree with that. And just like with Hayden Hurst, I mean, it's situation. You can there there are questions about the player, but there's just so much scoring and target opportunity in this offense. Definitely, Carolina Panthers might have the most relevant set of coaching changes in the entire league, and it's one that we're all just gonna kind of have to watch and figure out as it goes on. Ron Rivera is gone after nine seasons as the head coach. In his place is Matt Rule. Three years as the Baylor head coach right before landing in Carolina. Before that, four years as the Temple head coach. Another four before that as the OC at Temple. So that was 11 years as either a coordinator or a head coach at the college level. He went wildly run heavy across his 11 seasons as a college play caller. The median for Matt Rule teams was 53.7% in rushing share. Offensive coordinator is Joe Brady. He has never been a full offensive coordinator at any level. He did spend last year as the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach at LSU. Generally seems to be regarded as the offensive coordinator of that historic LSU offense. Did help pilot one of the greatest college offenses of all time. That particular offense went 54-46 in pass run split. I'm going to go ahead and assume that being 15-0 and 0 likely pushed some of that volume. There was certainly no lack of passing ability from that Joe Burrow-led offense. Joe Brady, before that, spent 2017 and 2018 as an offensive assistant under Sean Payton in New Orleans, so there is some NFL experience. The two offenses that he was with there also both leaned run, so I'll be curious to see where this coaching staff settles on the run-pass split question. Yeah, I mean, obviously just tons of questions here. I mean, we don't know anything really about Rule or Brady at the NFL level. We don't know, you know, who's going to have more say in this this offense. Uh, I'm sort of expecting it to be Brady just because, you know, what he did at LSU last year. But, you know, that that's still to be determined, I think. My thing here is I expect the Carolina defense to be really bad again. They were bad last year. They were bottom 10 in yards allowed, yards per play allowed, points allowed, and football outsiders DVOA. So to me, that is what's going to push this team more towards the pass, regardless of what they want to do. I agree with that. And they have the talent on offense. The offense is built with lots of passing pieces. Even yeah. their running back is, you know, arguably, I don't know if it's even arguable at this point, the best receiving running back in the league. So they certainly have the tools and the situation and the bad defense to be a pass happy offense. Yeah, so uh, 61% pass is what I went for uh, the Panthers this year. I went lower than that. Like you said, like I said, we're all totally guessing at this aspect, and it's probably going to depend to some degree on team success. I went 58-42 pass run split. I expect it to be a sub-500 team, but I don't want to, I don't know, I guess inflate too far my expectations for how often they are going to pass. Teddy Bridgewater hasn't been a full season starter since 2015. So, you know, maybe they enter the season trying to find ways to not overload him. I'm not sure. Like I said, we're all guessing, but that's where I settled out for the pass run split. Yeah, I probably went 61% because I kind of want to be excited about this passing game. So let's get into Bridgewater because I like how he fits 
in this offense. I think, you know, Bridgewater, obviously a guy who is more of a, a short range passer. He actually had the lowest average depth of, of throw in the NFL last season at 6.1 yards per throw. That, that was easily lowest. I think the next lowest guy was like 6.6. Um, I, I think some of that had to do with the Saints offense. You know, even Breeze has a low average depth of throw, but Bridgewater also was throwing mostly short in his time in, in Minnesota. But again, I think that fits this offense with guys like Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, they're all guys who I think should be better than average after the catch. So that's why Bridgewater is one of my you know favorite late round quarterback targets right now. I, yeah, I started out not really being interested in Teddy Bridgewater because because of the short stuff, because I don't know about these college coaches. You know, maybe they'll prove to be in over their heads this season. But the more I look at it, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense to find some optimism in Teddy Bridgewater there. Accuracy has been his strength when he has been able to start in the NFL. Last year, he ranked third among multi-game starters in pro football focus adjusted completion rate. The previous two years that Teddy Bridgewater did spend as a starter back in 2014 and 2015 with Minnesota, he ranked fourth in adjusted completion rate as a rookie. In 2015, he ranked second in the league, and the only guy ahead of him was A.J. McCarron, who started three games uh, for the Bengals after Andy Dalton went down. We know there's not a deep arm here, but this is an offense with so many run-after-the-catch pieces in place. Their top three receivers all run sub 4-4-3 in the 40. Christian McCaffrey is a 4-4-8-40 guy. Like I said, as good a receiving back as there is in the NFL. So it's not hard to create a story here where Teddy Bridgewater is effective in getting those guys the ball where they need to get it. And in an offense where people talk about Joe Brady focusing on getting his athletes into space. I mean, this roster is built for that. So when you have Teddy Bridgewater in that system and going 26th among quarterbacks in ADP, it's really not hard to get optimistic. Again, I think the Panthers defense is going to be bad. So Bridgewater is going to find himself in some shootouts, you know, maybe playing from behind quite a bit. I also think there's at least some potential for him to bring some rushing upside. Um, he had 47 carries for 209 yards and a score as a rookie back in 2014, 44 carries for 192 yards and three touchdowns in 2015. He obviously had that very serious knee injury. And then last year he only ran for 34 yards in his five starts so maybe that rushing ability we saw the first two years has been sapped a bit but again I think there's at least the chance he gives us 150 to 200 rushing yards and and one to three rushing touchdowns yeah I'll be curious to see what happens there even if he's maybe a little bit more apprehensive about running you know whether it's whether the athleticism remains or not Um, but certainly at the range where he's going you know it's not hard to find the upside Running back notes, there's really not a whole lot to talk about here. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, he's coming off one of the greatest running back fantasy seasons ever. He's now heading into an offense, assuming that Joe Brady is a primary architect here, that helped elevate Clyde Edwards-Elair from kick returner to first-team All-SEC and a first-round NFL draft pick. Of course, Joe Brady also was in New Orleans, which has done fairly well with um, running back productivity and fantasy throughout the years since Drew Brees arrived. Last year's number two Panthers running back Reggie Bonifon carried 16 times. So it's clearly Christian McCaffrey's game here. I think that the Panthers top three in carries again are going to be McCaffrey, the quarterback, and Curtis Samuel, just like last year. So, I mean, really the only argument against McCaffrey topping the rankings is that historically it's not likely that we get the exact same guy in the top spot every year. But I mean, Christian McCaffrey is still easily the best bet to be that top guy. 
Yeah, I think McCaffrey was the number two back in 2018. He was like less than a point behind Saquon Barkley. So he almost already did go back to back at number one. McCaffrey last year outscored the number two running back, Aaron Jones, by 150 PPR points. That was bigger than the gap between Jones at two and the number 26 running back. So McCaffrey will regress. He can regress quite a bit and still lead all running backs in fantasy points. I think you should take him number one overall, not think twice about it. Pass catcher notes, let's start with Curtis Samuel because I think he's the most interesting guy. What do you like about Curtis Samuel? Yeah, I mean, I just think there wasn't a player in the NFL that was more misutilized than Curtis Samuel last year. He had a 14.8 yard average depth of target. That was 11th highest among 75 qualifying wide receivers. 26% of his targets went 20 plus yards downfield. That was also a top 20 mark. We're talking about a 5'11", 196 pound receiver who started his college career at running back. I just think he always should have been a short range, get the ball in his hands, use him in the running game. That that should have been his role all along. You know, I, I think something like what we saw the Niners, uh, how the Niners deployed Debo Samuel last year is how Curtis Samuel should be deployed by the Panthers this year. And it sounds like uh, this new coaching staff wants to, wants to deploy Samuel that way in 2020. Yeah, I've been waiting to hear word from Panthers coaches that they were going to shift him inside. They were going to have him run the ball. They were going to get back to something close to what Curtis Samuel did for Ohio State, and we finally got that. I mean, if you check Shark Bites, then you saw we we got exactly that from a Panthers reporter where Matt Rule said um, that he liked the versatility with Samuel and wanted to use him as a running back, a slot receiver. There's obviously room, as we just mentioned, there's nothing behind Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. I, I think 25 to 30 carries yeah. looks like a reasonable starting point as a projection for Curtis Samuel. He carried 19 times last year, so it's not hard to see that even doubling. I mean, I think something like 50 plus carries is attainable. I'm not going to project that, but there's upside, I think, to do something like that for Curtis Samuel, because he's not just a just a wide receiver. He clearly was miscast as a strict outside guy, even though he's fast enough to do deep stuff. And I think a lot of it was Kyle Allen's problem, but it's just it's good for me in trying, trying to root for Curtis Samuel's upside this year. I like finally having a coach's words to back up that feeling. Yeah, I mean, if he gets even 30 carries and 80 to 90 targets, he, he's going to be a weekly fantasy starter with that volume. Um, so he's someone I'm going to start targeting in drafts now. Hopefully that rule quote doesn't you know spread too much and make his ADP rocket up because I think where he's going now, he's definitely a value. Yeah, wide receiver 56, an excellent spot from now. I hope it doesn't climb too much. DJ Moore is is the clear lead target. He drew 21.3% of the targets last season, basically missed the last two games, though. In his 14 healthy games, he saw 24.7%. That would have tied for sixth among all wideouts last season with Odell Beckham. Panthers did throw the second most passes in the league, so that helped his overall target volume. And I think even if they continue to lean past this year, we're probably going to see him come down from that number. It was the fourth most pass-heavy team in the league last season. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Moore missed those, basically missed the last two games with a concussion. He was sitting wide receiver eight in PPR points before that, though. Um, I I think it's fair to say that DJ Moore is on a superstar trajectory. You know, we loved him coming out. He had the elite market shares at Maryland. He was a 97th percentile athlete, was a first round pick, had a nice rookie season, finished wide receiver 36 in PPR points as a rookie. Again, was a top 10 guy when he was healthy last year. So Moore is definitely someone I don't want to be betting against, even though there are some concerns. As, as you mentioned, he benefited from the high pass volume last year. Brand new offense this year, new quarterback. Robbie Anderson brings some additional target competition, but again, I, I don't think it's going to matter for, for more just because I think he's that good. 
Yeah, I, I haven't really been on DJ Moore at the wide receiver 10 price, but yeah. it's not like AJ Brown. I'm not I'm 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 uncomfortable with not being on more in that area. So I want to get some DJ Moore because I think he is good enough. And obviously, for whatever limitations he has, Teddy Bridgewater is clearly an upgrade over Kyle Allen. Yeah, I mean, as good as I think AJ Brown is, I'm comfortable saying he's overpriced. Moore, I think, is fairly priced because again, I think he's really good, and I think there's still plenty of room for him to get you know 130, 140 targets this year. Robbie Anderson interests me the least in this wide receiving core. I do not envision there being three truly fantasy-friendly wideouts in this offense, and I'll take a chance on Curtis Samuel over Robbie Anderson. The upside for Anderson is he does have history with Matt Rule, coached him at Temple. Rule actually fought to get Anderson reinstated amid, amid some academic issues at Temple. So clearly he's a fan of Robbie Anderson in general. The Panthers signed Anderson for two years, $20 million with 12 of that guaranteed just six days into free agency. So again, Matt Rule likes Robbie Anderson. That can only help. That said, I think he's mostly a downfield guy, even though Rule says he can do more than that. I think that's his primary draw. And working with Teddy Bridgewater, that's obviously not a strength. Yep, just seems like the worst fit with Bridgewater among these three wide receivers. Uh, Robbie Anderson's average depth of targets over the past three seasons with the Jets, 15.8 yards, 17.3, 13.6. That, that obviously could change with Carolina. I, I expect it to come down, but I do think Anderson is at his best downfield, and that's not what Teddy Bridgewater is best at. At wide receiver 55, I can't say Robbie Anderson's a terrible price. If you like him, if you want to take him there, go for it. I do think that he gets less interesting as we go from best ball to lineup setting. Yeah, and again, Curtis Samuel going basically in the same spot, and I definitely prefer Samuel among the two. I agree. I have zero interest, however, in Ian Thomas, the tight end. Matt Rule's offenses have hated tight ends over his 11 years. He has never had a tight end top 20 receptions. Just four other Matt Rule tight ends reached double-digit receptions over his 11 years as a head coach or OC. And, you know, even if it's more Joe Brady's offense and even if Ian Thomas is more receiver than tight end, it's still crowded. DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey. There's so many upside options at tight end. I'll take Jay Sternberger, Irv Smith, Eric Ebron, even if we're looking down in that tight end 20 plus range. Yeah. And, and Thomas is going at tight end 20. So I'm not going to say he's like stupidly overpriced, but like like you said, I do prefer Irv Smith, Ebron, Sternberger. I prefer Chris Herndon even over Ian Thomas. Um, and I'm not sure how much to, to factor in rules history with tight ends. Um, but as you said, I do think with these three wide receivers and with Christian McCaffrey, obviously, it's it's going to be tough for Thomas to you know see a steady stream of, of targets. I believe Logan Thomas in Wa- in Washington has a higher ceiling than Ian Thomas because if Logan Thomas is finally ready to put it all together yeah. at tight end, then all that's ahead of him for sure as far as a target in right. Washington's offense is Terry McLaurin. Yeah, I mean. When you first said that, I thought you were nuts, but if I think about it, I mean, as far as ceiling goes, yeah, Logan Thomas has a higher ceiling. The floor is obviously much lower, though. Yeah, I'm th- I'm thinking, like, modified Darren Waller. I, I don't like poor mans, yeah. but yeah. I think, you know, Logan Thomas has that kind of, wait a second, where did this guy come from? Definitely not, you know, 130 target, top three tight end. But if Logan Thomas is, like, tight end 18 by the end of the year, I'm not going to be shocked. Yeah, I agree. 
All right, who I like here, Curtis Samuel, we already talked about. There's only upside to him from mid-wide receiver 5 ADP. I hope he doesn't climb now that we know what they're planning for his role. Yeah, I think the two guys who are values right now in Carolina are Curtis Samuel and, again, Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback 25. Who I don't like, there's really nobody that I hate at cost here. As I said, DJ Moore has been a little bit pricey for me, but I can't I can't come out against him. Really, Ian Thomas is just the, the one guy that I have absolutely no interest in. Yep, Ian Thomas is the only guy I don't like here. New Orleans Saints, what do you have on the coaching front? One of the easier teams to project, I think, just because we have so much data on Sean Payton and Drew Brees being together, you know, and basically running this offense. This will be their 14th season together. It'll be Payton's 13th season because he has it. He had that year where he was suspended because of Bounty Gate. But um, the Saints have finished top nine in yards every season since Payton arrived. They've been top 12 in points every season since Payton arrived. So it's just just an offense I think in fantasy that we want to bet in we want to invest in because they've been so good for so long yeah it's a nice team to get to when you're doing team by team projections because there <laughs> is so much known here that it's you don't really have to go out on too many limbs to figure out the numbers exactly um we, we have seen a bit of a shift towards the run in recent seasons for the Saints and I think that makes sense when you consider Drew Brees is what 41 years old now so they don't want him chucking you know 600 times anymore the Saints were top five in pass attempts in 10 of Peyton and Breeze's first 11 seasons in New Orleans. The last three years, they've ranked 19th, 23rd, and 13th in pass attempts. Their pass rates those three seasons, 55.6%, 53.4%, did rebound a bit last year to 59.9%. So I, I sort of took the average of those last three years and went with a 56.5% pass rate for this season, which again would be down a little bit from last year. I leaned a bit further toward the pass. I went 58-42. Um, it's still down slightly from last year when they were 13-3, and I believe, but it's up more versus 2018 and 2017. I mean, they went out and signed Emmanuel Sanders in free agency for one, th- one thing, so that tells me that they didn't feel good enough about their pass-catching core last year and mm-hmm. wanted to give Drew Brees a little bit more to work with. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Um, I think with the addition of Sanders and Jared Cook returning, um, you know, th- this looks like the best pass catching course since what I guess at least since uh, Brandon Cooks departed. Yes, we will get to that in a minute. And really, I mean, Traquan Smith, I, he was disappointing, but he's still out there. He still, I believe, has talent. So you know, we'll see if he can be a factor as well. I've taken him a couple times super late in the FFPC best ball drafts, and I, I took him in a dynasty startup draft earlier this offseason too. Yeah, that's the place to keep him. I'm not interested for redraft, but we'll get to the pass catchers in a minute. Let's start with the QB notes, and it is Drew Brees. Lost five games to the right thumb injury last season. Still finished as QB7 in fantasy points per game. He delivered the highest touchdown rate of his career, which is pretty good for Drew Brees. He was over 23 fantasy points in eight of his 10 healthy games. He has led the league in completion rate in three straight seasons. His 7.9 yards per attempt or more each of the past three years, despite the iffy pass catchers that we alluded to already. I mean, now he's Michael Thomas is obviously a stud, so he's back. Jared mm-hmm. Cook, still an above average athlete, as he showed last year. And Emmanuel Sanders uh, joins the team. He's their best wide receiver, too, since 2016, as you said, was Brandon Cook's last season on the team. Yeah, Breeze, 41 years old now again, but no signs of slowing down in efficiency or fantasy production, really. Um, As you mentioned, he missed the five games last year. He he missed the majority of a sixth game, the game he got hurt in. If we just look at his 10 full games, he averaged 25.8 fantasy points. That would have ranked second 
among all quarterbacks behind only Lamar Jackson. Um, Breeze finishes a top 12 fantasy quarterback in eight of those 10 games. That rate was, again, second best behind only Lamar Jackson. He was even better on the road last season than usual. His weekly finishes in his four road games, 11th, 27th, 7th, and 6th. So he really only killed you in one road game last year, which is not what we had been seeing from Breeze the previous few years. And of course, that one game where he killed you was that goofball Atlanta game where the Falcons tried to make us think that they were good on defense all of a sudden. It turned out they were only good on defense against Drew Breeze last year. Yeah, so I guess at 41 years old, um, Breeze finally learning to produce on the road. We'll have to sit him against the Falcons for 2020, but we'll play him against everybody else. Running back notes, Alvin Kamara, top four fantasy running back in 2017, 2018, dropped to RB9 in PPR last year, RB8 in points per game, suffered a high ankle sprain leading up to week six. That meeting with Jacksonville was limited in that game and then missed the next two after he also tweaked a knee. Carries per game for Kamara fell from 15 per game before that Jacksonville week to 10.7 per game after. But the biggest culprit for his... Fantasy production last year was some bad touchdown luck. He had 9 and 16 red zone touchdowns in his first two seasons, just four total last year. Kamara scored on 24% of his red zone touches over 2017 and 2018. He scored on just 12.5% of red zone touches last year, according to Pro Football References numbers. Kamara had zero receiving touchdowns last season after tallying seven over his first two seasons. And among 39 running backs who got 10-plus carries inside the 10-yard line last season, Kamara's 21.4% touchdown rate in that range ranked 27th. Yeah, just a lot went wrong for Kamara last year. I think the the fact that he still finished as high as he did in fantasy points is a testament to how good he is and how high his floor is in 2020, I think. But yeah, the bad touchdown luck. I mean, his TDs by year now have gone 13-13. 18 6. I mean, I think the 18 is an outlier. I think the 6 is an outlier. I think 13, though, what he did in his first year is definitely something he can repeat in 2020. And then I, I do think the high ankle sprain was a big deal. I mean, he, he was not the same player even after he returned, which we saw the same thing with Saquon Barkley last year. He was not the same player after he returned from his high ankle sprain. But in the first five weeks of the season before Kamara got hurt, he was second in elusive rating among 41 running backs. In the final eight games after he returned from the injury, he was 29th in elusive rating. So that right there tells you that you know he was operating at less than 100%. Nice. Latavius Murray, meanwhile, stepped in for big numbers in those two games that Kamara missed, saw 33% of his carries and 42% of his season targets in those two games that Kamara sat out. His touch shares did rise a bit after Kamara returned, as you mentioned, when Kamara was not quite at the same pre-injury level. But even in that range, Murray was still averaging just 7.9 carries and 1.9 targets per game. So that's not the kind of guy that you're going to be using as a standalone fantasy starter when Kamara is healthy. To me, Latavius Murray is strictly a handcuff along the lines of Alexander Madison and Tony Pollard. Yeah, I agree. Strictly a handcuff. Murray finished as a top 24 half PPR running back in just three of 13 games alongside Kamara. That's also admitting week 17 when Kamara was pulled. That game didn't mean anything for the Saints. So Murray wasn't someone we could trust when Kamara was healthy. But I also think Murray is the highest upside handcuff in fantasy football because of what we saw him do last year in those two games Kamara missed. 33 opportunities in both of those games. Opportunities are carries plus targets. Murray finished running back two in PPR points in the first one, running back three in PPR points in the second one. So he was, you know, an elite fantasy play when Kamara missed time. And and really the Saints added Ty Montgomery. So there's a bit more competition in the backfield this year if Kamara goes down. But I would expect Murray to get another, you know, 20, 25 opportunities per game if Kamara misses more time this season. 
Yeah, I think it'll remain Murray's job if Kamara goes down. I'll be curious to see if Ty Montgomery can stage any sort of a comeback. I was surprised that he didn't do more for the Jets last year than he did. I mean, I think Adam Gates is why he did nothing for the Jets. If anyone can sort of get a rebound season from Ty Montgomery, it would be Sean Payton. But even in that case, I think it'd be more as like a change of pace, pass catching specialist, and not, not a real threat to Latavius Murray if Kamara misses time. Yes, I agree. Pass catcher notes, Michael Thomas has led the league in receptions for two straight seasons. Maybe Emmanuel Sanders cuts into that a bit. He is, as I said, the best number two receiver this team has had since it was Brandon Cooks back when Michael Thomas was a rookie in 2016. Last year's Saints, though, wide receivers drew their smallest target share for the position since 2014. So I think that that number we should expect to come up some in 2020, you know, shave a little bit off the tight ends, shave a little bit off the running backs and give it to the wide receivers. I think there will be plenty for both Thomas and Sanders. I think obviously Thomas belongs right in the middle of round one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, 31.8% target share from Michael Thomas last year. That was up from 28.3% in 2018, 27.8% in 2017. I think Thomas is going to, you know, decline back to those 2017, 2018 numbers. I projected him for 28.5% target share this year. That got him 158 targets. Still a big number. It is down 27 from last year. So not insignificant, but again, I still think Thomas will be vying for the lead league in targets. The other note on Thomas, I think there's room for him to score more touchdowns than he did the previous two seasons. Nine touchdowns each of the last two years. That's just a 6.6% touchdown rate. The league average for wide receivers is 8.1%. So, you know, Thomas could have a, you know, nine, 10% touchdown rate season in him and, you know, score 10, 11, 12 times pretty easily, I think. And really, I think that the only way he doesn't pay off for you is if he has a really bad luck touchdown season. And since he's already been fairly low in that category, there's just really no reason to to bet against him, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, even with a bad luck touchdown season, if he's still catching 110, 120 passes, he's not really going to be a letdown. I think it would it would take an injury for Thomas to let down this season. So I think, I think he is, you know, one of the safer picks in the first round of fantasy drafts. Yes. No number two Saints receiver has topped 70 targets since 2017. Emmanuel Sanders has finished six of his past seven years among the top 33 PPR wideouts. He did turn 33 years old in March, but he's going just wide receiver 44 and ADP. I think Emmanuel Sanders is a pretty easy buy. Yeah, I've definitely come around on Sanders. It's tough to find him a ton of targets. We have him projected for 83 right now. That would have ranked 48th among wide receivers last year, but I totally expect Sanders to be well above average as far as efficiency goes. I think he'll finish much higher in fantasy points than targets because, you know, one, he's playing with Drew Brees, you know, one of, if not the most efficient quarterback in NFL history. And then the fact that Emmanuel Sanders has remained effective despite, you know, the serious injuries he's had, his age. Last year, across two different teams, he averaged 9.0 yards per target. That was 27th best among 79 qualifying receivers. He was 34th among those 79 in yards per out run, and he was 18th among those 79 in PFF receiving grade. So he's still a good player. You give Drew Brees a good wide receiver, and I think good stuff's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, as long as the price is either affordable or even better than affordable, I think it always makes more sense to bet on a Drew Brees pass catcher rather than against him. Traquan Smith, as I said, I'm not cutting him in Dynasty. I'm interested in stashing him there, but I'm not picking him in redraft this year unless it goes very deep. Yeah, I think in, you know in the 28 round FFPC best ball drafts, and I think best ball is the only spot you can take Traquan Smith. Um, you know, barring an injury to Sanders or Michael Thomas, you know, as the number three receiver and you know probably the number five target. 
in this offense. There's just not going to be enough volume there to make him a reliable fantasy option. Jared Cook set career highs last year in yards per catch, yards per targets, and touchdowns. He is in the right spot to stay above average in all of those categories, but he did score on 20.9% of his receptions last year. That number is coming down. Among the top 50 tight ends last season, only Ricky Seals-Jones and Foster Moreau beat his touchdown rate. Neither of those guys caught more than 21 passes. The nearest tight end to Cook in touchdown rate that had at least 40 catches was Mark Andrews, and he had a 15.6% touchdown rate. Jimmy Graham, in his five years of playing with Drew Brees, totaled 13.2% touchdown rate. His best season was 18.6%. Yeah, no doubt Cook in for regression, uh, both in touchdown rate and yards per catch. You know, the 16.4 yards per catch last year, that's not going to be repeated. If you look at the volume, he averaged 4.6 targets per game last year. That's a full season pace of 74 targets. That would have ranked 13th among tight ends. If Cook can see you know that level of volume, I like his chances at, a, at another top 12 finish because he should still remain more efficient than average. Um, you know, he, He's still a talented player, and, and again, playing with Drew Brees helps. Who I like most of them. Alvin Kamara is in the top four for me. I am more interested in Michael Thomas even as we move from best ball leagues to lineup setting formats. And I love the home game upside on Drew Brees at his QB 10 price. Love Emmanuel Sanders deep in wide receiver four range. Yeah, I think Sanders is the biggest value here. I think a lot of the other guys are properly priced. Drew Brees, my only issue with him is Carson Wentz is basically going in the same area. I lean towards Wentz there. And Tom Brady's actually going a few picks later than Drew Brees. I prefer Brady among those two. So that, that's why I haven't been drafting Brees a ton. And I just wanted to mention Latavius Murray at running back 44. Again, we don't expect him to be a standalone option, but at RB 44, I think, you know, he, he's a handcuff worth considering because, you know, he can be a weak winner if Kamara misses time this season. So I have not been interested in Latavius Murray for best ball because yeah. I think he's going to be a dead spot on your roster there. But as we're moving more toward lineup setting, I agree. He's one of the few handcuffs that I think is worth it, especially if you have Alvin Kamara. I think he's even worth considering if you didn't draft Alvin Kamara. But, you know, with Kamara, you know that if Kamara goes down, then you plug Murray in. So you don't have to worry about that dead roster spot. Jared Cook is also a little bit high for me. He's not a value at tight end 10, but I think he's okay there. Yeah, Cook, to me, sort of the, sort of the same deal as Hayden Hurst. They're, they're actually going in the same territory. It's just, again, I prefer Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, a round later, and then Jonu Smith, two rounds later, Blake Jarwin, three rounds later. So th- I think there's just better relative values at the position. Blake Jarwin remains the, the big one that makes it hard for me to buy any other tight end in that range. Agreed. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Relevant coaching changes. Nothing significant here. Bruce Arians enters his second season as the head coach. Byron Leftwich is still the OC after his first full season in that role role last year. He, of course, worked under Bruce Arians back in Arizona before joining him in Tampa Bay. Harold Goodwin is an assistant head coach. He's the run game coordinator. He has worked under Bruce Arians in Pittsburgh, Indy, Arizona, and now Tampa. So it's a familiar coaching staff that should be working well together. Last year's offense was right in line with the previous two in terms of run pass split. Despite the coaching change to Bruce Arians, it was the seventh most pass heavy team in the league in 2019. The overall offensive DVOA, though, dropped from 11th in 2017, 12th in 2018, to just 22nd last year. Maybe that's why we got the big QB change. Yeah, and obviously that's the big news here, Tom Brady arriving. I think it's going to be interesting to see just what this offense looks like with, you know, three offensive minds in Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich, And, you know, no matter what anyone says, I think Tom Brady is going to have a say in what this offense looks like. I do expect it to be 
one of the past heavier offenses in the NFL again this season. You just look at Brady being there and just look at the personnel. I mean, I'm optimistic about Ronald Jones, but you know, they're not going to base the offense around Ronald Jones when you have Tom Brady, Chris Godwin and, and Mike Evans. For sure. I mean, Bruce Arians has leaned past for a while, dating back to Arizona anyway, so I, I agree with that. I went about 60-40 with the pass-run split here. I expect these Bucks to win more than last year's did, so that, that makes me lean you know, a little bit toward the run more than I would have otherwise if I expected them to be a sub-500 team again. I also think that they're going to be high in total play volume. Bruce Arians' past three teams have all ranked high in that category. Tom Brady's Patriots have traditionally ranked high in that category. So there's going to be lots of opportunities for people in this offense. I have them at 61% pass, and I wouldn't be surprised if they get up to like 63 or 64% pass, especially if the you know running backs don't work out. Yeah, I certainly think that there is upside beyond the 60-40 pass run split. I just didn't want to go too high, especially considering where I have Tom Brady. So let's transition over to quarterback notes. Tom Brady has topped 4,000 passing yards in eight straight years in which he was not suspended for deflating footballs. That includes last year. He had steep declines in a number of passing categories last year. Worst completion rate since 2004. He had his worst touchdown rate of his career at 3.9%. He had his worst yards per attempt since 2002. The 6.6 YPA was down a full yard from the year before. So is Tom Brady or was Tom Brady declining at 42? And is he declining at this point? I mean, yeah, probably, but he also dealt with a garbage group of pass catchers with those Patriots. Only Julian Edelman and James White topped 54 targets for last year's Pats. Now he gets Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. It's probably the most talented receiver duo he has ever worked with. And I say that knowing full well that he spent some time with Randy Moss and Wes Welker as his top two receivers. No, I I agree. I think it is the most talented group he's ever worked with. And, you know, the group obviously just helped Jameis Winston throw for 5,100 yards, 33 touchdowns, finishes a top three fantasy quarterback. Winston did tie for the league league with 626 pass attempts. I don't think Brady's going to reach that level, but I found Tom Brady 600 pass attempts when you talk about, again, the 61% pass rate, the high play volume. I think that's a spot he can hit. And if he hits 600 pass attempts with these weapons, I think he's going to pretty easily beat his ADP. And we'll get to the deep stuff, Brady versus Winston, when we talk about the receivers. The, the one kind of hurdle here to being totally on board with Brady is there is no precedent for fantasy success in a 43-year-old quarterback. So he would be the first one ever. That said, I mean, Tom Brady is building himself to be that guy that is the best ever at every stage. You know, he just keeps going until he decides that he's done. Bruce Arians clearly believes that he's still got plenty. They have only Blaine Gabbert behind him at the position. And then Tom Brady's going QB 13 and ADP. So it makes it even easier to bet on. him. I am so surprised that Brady hasn't gotten more fantasy hype this spring and summer now. And you just look at the fact that it's, you know, Tom Brady and then throwing to Mike Evans and, and Chris Godman and Rob Gronkowski. I'm so surprised his ADP has stayed where it is, but I'm happy about it. Again, again, I think he's a big value there. I agree. And especially when you throw in that Vegas likes Tampa's chances. I mean, that seems like it right. should put the needle some, but you know, fantasy owners are reluctant because of the age. Yep. Running back notes, Ronald Jones has bulked up to 225 pounds. That's, that's gone wrong for some other running backs. So we'll have to see if there's any noticeable dip in his speed or burst, but the, mostly Evaluating him right now is looking at his draft price, his team's commitment to him, and the improved situation. Yeah, and Ronald Jones bulked up from his rookie year to his sophomore season, and you know he, he was much better as a sophomore. So you know, maybe a few extra pounds will help again. We'll see about that. I just think I think Jones was better 
than most people realized last year. He averaged 4.2 yards per carry, you know, a decent number, 10.0 yards per catch. Um, and just some of the more advanced metrics um, among 45 running backs with 100 plus carries last year. Jones was 23rd among those 45 in yards after contact per attempt. He was 16th in elusive rating. And then in the passing game among 43 running backs with 30 plus targets, he was fifth in yards per target. He was fifth in yards per outrun. The one area he struggled that's going to be important is Jones was 40th in PFF's pass blocking grades last year. He's going to need to improve in pass protection if he's going to be the starter behind Tom Brady. For sure. Keyshawn Vaughn, fortunately for Ronald Jones, also didn't rate particularly well in PFF's grading for pass protection. The thing about the situation that I think helps the running backs with the move from Jameis Winston to Tom Brady is that I believe that Tom Brady will bring with him more running back targets and fewer scrambles. Over the past five years, PFF credited Jameis Winston with 157 scrambles versus just 39 for Tom Brady. Winston well ahead of Brady in average target depth. So always looking further downfield than Tom Brady is, who is fine with dumping it off. You can just ask James White. There is the competition with Keyshawn Vaughn this summer. We'll see what happens there. It doesn't help Keyshawn Vaughn that he's starting camp on the COVID reserve. We'll see how long that keeps him out for. But it looks like and it sounds like the Bucks want Ronald Jones to be their lead back now. Yeah, and I mean, I think Vaughn is like a, a fine prospect. He's not someone I'm excited about, though. Um, you know, had decent production as Vanderbilt starter the past two seasons, you know, was a third round pick. I, I think what the Bucks did in the draft, I, I think it made Ronald Jones a under the radar winner, actually. I mean, Tampa passed on Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins in the second round. Then they took Keyshawn Vaughn in, in the third. So to me, that, that boosted Ronald Jones's stock. I feel comfortable at this point expecting Jones to at least enter the season as the lead back in Tampa. I agree. Keyshawn Vaughn doubled up Ronald Jones in career college catches, but he only had one season where he caught more than 16 balls. So it's not like he was that much more of a receiving threat in college. And Ronald Jones stepped up a bit in that area in year two. So when you throw in the price, you don't have to really invest that much to take a shot on Ronald Jones. I think he's a a pretty easy buy right now. Yeah, Keyshawn Vaughn is even older than Ronald Jones right now, too. He's already Mm -hmm. 23 years old, a few months older than Jones. So to me, I mean, if you just compare Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn's you know, college profiles. I think Ronald Jones wins there. Dare Ogunbowale is the other factor here. There's a surprising amount of talk about him mm-hmm. on Twitter, and you never really know how much of it is serious or joking. He had 11 carries, 46 targets all of last year in a backfield led by Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones. And I put lead in air quotes. Mm-hmm. Ogunbowale topped three catches just twice all last year. I Unless the other two just suck terribly in pass protection and are about to get the quarterback killed. I don't see how Ogunbowale grabs a much bigger role. Yeah. And Jones beat Ogunbowale in both yards per target and yards per route run pretty easily last year. Ogunbowale did edge out Jones in PFF pass blocking grade, but Ogunbowale didn't fare well there either. He ranked 34th in pass block grade among those 43 qualifying running backs. Of course, about two hours after we finished recording this podcast came the announcement that the Bucks had signed LaShawn McCoy. As Jared pointed out in the Shark Bite on DraftSharks.com, it's a one-year deal for the veteran minimum. That's not surprising for McCoy, given his lackluster 2019. McCoy was a healthy scratch in six of Kansas City's final 11 games, including the playoffs last season. The other five games in that span, he totaled just 29 carries, 12 targets. So... We're not adjusting our outlook for Ronald Jones or others based on this signing as McCoy is really, he's far from a lock to even make the regular season roster in Tampa Bay. We'll see over the next month 
whether he can work his way into the 2020 plan, but that's where we are with McCoy. He needs to prove that he is a fantasy factor rather than us adjusting our outlooks for his new teammates because he has joined the fray. Pass catcher notes, Chris Godwin, it looks like the easy fit with Tom Brady. Fourth among all receivers in yards per target since he entered the league in 2017. Second among wide receivers in fantasy points across formats last year, despite missing a couple games at the end of the season. 17th in targets, 11th in receptions, third in receiving yards, third in touchdowns. Those would generally be kind of worrisome for regression purposes, but among the top 50 PPR receivers last year, Chris Godwin ranked only 19th in touchdown rate, 20th in the percentage of his fantasy scoring that came via touchdown points alone. So I don't really think it was that much of an outlier season. He has scored on 11% of his receptions over the past two years, which is a little bit high, but it's not outlandish. And he has seen more than 20% of his targets in the red zone each of the past two years, scored 14 of his 16 touchdowns in that range. I think when you combine that with the upgrade in at least short range passing at quarterback, it's not hard to see Chris Godwin staying above average in touchdown rate. Yeah, kind of like DJ Moore. I just think Chris Godwin's really good and he's not a guy I want to bet against. Um, you know, he, he just posted a 71% catch rate and 15.5 yards per catch with Jameis Winston. Even at his age, I, I think at least in the short range passing game that Tom Brady is an upgrade over Jameis Winston, which, which helps Chris Godwin because that's the area he works in. Brady also obviously has a strong history with slot receivers. Bruce Arians has a strong history with slot receivers, you know, before Chris Godwin last year, it was Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona. So it, it all kind of points to, to Godwin being the Bucks wide receiver to target among him and, and uh, Mike Evans. And Chris Godwin delivered on the buzz that Bruce Arians started with the way he was talking about Chris Godwin last offseason. So uh, he yeah. called the shot and then it happened. I don't think there's any reason to believe that Godwin's going to crash, even if he comes down a little bit from what he did last year. Yeah. What, what did Arians say? 100 catches for uh, Chris Godwin? We all sort of laughed and he was basically basically on pace for 100 catches last year. Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, it was he can fill the Larry Fitzgerald role. And I don't even remember what he said specifically numbers wise, but, you know, it, it, he delivered. I thought he said 100 catches. Maybe I just dreamed that, though. <laughs> it could have been the case. I mean, Bruce Arians was also the guy that said we should expect 30 touches a week from Andre Ellington. <laughs> yes, he did. So maybe we should take 100 catches as like pessimism I, from Arians about his receiver. Yeah, I mean, I think you just got lucky with that call. Mike Evans is the guy that's more likely to slide in drafts, and I don't think it should be happening. He beat Chris Godwin in targets in their shared games last season. He has ranked among the top three wide receivers in fantasy points per game in two of the past four years. Mike Evans has topped 1,000 receiving yards in all six of his seasons. He has scored eight-plus touchdowns in four of his six seasons, and he enters 2020 coming off his two best years in yards per catch, yards per target, and catch rate. Yeah, Mike Evans has the 12th most PPR points through his first six seasons of any wide receiver in NFL history. He He's not even 27 years old yet. So again, like Chris Godwin, you, you, betting against Mike Evans has not worked out well so far. And, uh, you know, I, I think Tom Brady, not nearly as big a downgrade, even in the deep passing game, as, as some people think. Right. So that's the big question is, can Tom Brady support the downfield stuff for Mike Evans? Now, is he going to throw deep as often? Probably not. But Tom Brady has been more efficient on deep balls than Jameis Winston. He ranked 19th in adjusted completion rate, according to PFF, on deep balls last year versus Winston at 15th. So right behind Winston in that category last season. But the the four years before that, in which Winston has been in the NFL, Brady finished 12th, 6th, 8th, and 11th. Winston finished 32nd, 24th, 
26th, 13th. So again, maybe this is a downgrade in terms of how often the quarterback is looking for the deep ball, but it's definitely not a downgrade in deep ball effectiveness. Yeah, I mean, look at the 2019 Patriots. Philip Dorsett was like the the best and only downfield threat on that team. So I, I'm not putting much stock into Brady's deep ball numbers last year. I think he'll be just fine with Mike Evans. Here, here's my concern with, I guess, both Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. And this is a note from Rich Rebar. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are set to be the eighth pair of wide receiver teammates to both be top 12 in ADP over the past 10 seasons. And only two of the previous seven times did both wide receivers end up finishing in the top 12. So it's just rare that mm-hmm. we see two wide receivers both finish top 12. That's out if it's going to happen. I mean, these two talents with a Hall of Fame quarterback, I definitely would not be surprised if uh, Evans and Godwin both pay off at price tag. Right. And I mean, you know, there are various reasons that it is rare. Obviously, it's rare, but this is also a rare situation where you go from one season where you're both stellar to then getting the best quarterback that has ever played uh, the the following year. Right. Rob Gronkowski opened at a tight end 11 and ADP now is tight end 13 in July. So I was gearing up early on to just be off of Rob Gronkowski, but he's dropped about a round and a half. He's going late in round 10. I mean, I'm fine with him in that range. I don't feel like there's any reason to really build much of a case against him, especially because at their relative prices, if you can stack Gronk with Tom Brady, you're not investing a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, I I just think if you're drafting Gronk, you have to realize he probably has the widest range of outcomes among any draftable tight end. I mean, it would not surprise me if he finishes as a top five tight end this season. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he only plays four games and is basically useless. We haven't seen him on the field since the Super Bowl of the 2018 season. He was actually better in 2018 than I remembered. I mean, he wasn't the dominant Rob Gronkowski, but he did finish 11th among tight ends in PPR points that season. He was ninth in PPR points per game. He was eighth among 28 qualifying tight ends in yards per route run. He was ninth among those 28 in pro football focus receiving grade. So he was still, you know, an, an upper tier tight end. The question is what did a whole year off do to him? And then of course, I also think he has the most target competition he's ever faced with uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. So I don't think he's going to you know, see the type of target volume he did in his years with the Pats. A year off gave him even more time to be annoying on TV. So I'm glad he's back to football because that's less annoying to me. Yeah, we know that for sure. Who I like Tom Brady most at his early round 11 ADP, QB 13. He came out QB 7 in my projection, so he's just an easy buy. Yeah, he's quarterback 7 for me too, and I've been drafting a bunch of Tom Brady. Anybody that you don't like here? No, I mean, Rob Gronkowski is a guy I haven't drafted yet, which scares me a bit. I'd like to at least get a piece of him. Again, it's just I like some of the other tight ends going around him better, but at tight end 13, there's tons of upside for Gronk. Yep, I'm, I'm fine with him there. I haven't drafted him either. He's got a Jarwin problem for me. I also haven't drafted Keyshawn Vaughn at cost, but I think he's fine high in running back four range. I prefer Ronald Jones, but would I throw down a bunch of money that Ronald Jones is definitely going to do it this year? Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, Jones and Vaughn's ADPs have been zigzagging all offseason. I mean, there was a stretch where Vaughn was going clearly ahead of Ronald Jones. Now it's Jones at RB32, Keyshawn Vaughn at running back 40. I'd still rather have Ronald Jones among those two, but Keyshawn Vaughn at running back 40, I think he's okay there. And that's going to do it for this NFC South preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see exactly how we projected all these guys to build your customized MVP board, and to practice drafting with the Mock Draft Trainer. If you're a DS Insider, you can also check out my Zero RB Strategy article just dropped on DraftSharks.com this morning. 
writing, plus a plethora of other articles and features for insiders. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at Draft Sharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 